The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. On December 27th, 1892, Livingstone and Biddle College, now known as Johnson C. Smith University, played in Salisbury, North Carolina with Biddle winning 5-0. Over time, HBCU football has evolved. HBCU football's popularity continues to rise. Millions attend games each year and millions more watch on television. The HBCU bands provide some of the top entertainment in the country. Over that time, some of the best players to ever play in the National Football League played at HBCUs. Every Monday through Friday on the HBCU Football Daily Podcast, national radio and television host Donald Ware takes a look at what's happening in HBCU football and talks with coaches, players, administrators, and media about the season. Make sure you join the conversation on social media now. Here's your host, Donald Ware. You've got it locked to the HBCU Football Daily Podcast for today, Thursday, November the 2nd. I'm Donald Ware. Where, look, we want to talk, obviously we're going to talk some HBCU football, but we want to talk with one of the premier coaches in all of HBCU football in his sixth season as the head football coach, or really in the country, I should say. Let's let's put it like that. In his sixth season as the head football coach at Florida A&M is Willie Simmons. Of course, the Rattlers are number two in the coaches and media polls. Game on Saturday is at Alabama A&M. The Rattlers have already wrapped up the SWAC's Eastern Division, as Coach Simmons joins us here on the program. What's going on, Coach Simmons? Appreciate the time. Oh, man, it's going well. Uh, glad to be on with you. <laughs> it is going well. I mean, it, it really is. You guys, you just speak to the season 7-1 and one so far. Uh, eight games into the season, your thoughts on how the Rattlers are playing? Well, we're right where we anticipated being. Um, all the goals we set out for ourselves this season, uh, we've reached them. Uh, you know, we talked about winning our natural rivalries. You know, that's Jackson State, that's Alabama State, that's Southern, uh, and then also our in-state rival, which we have later this season. But with 3-0 and in those games, um, we had a goal to win the East. Uh, we clinched that this past weekend. So we still have a few more goals out there. Obviously, the SWAC championship game uh, is, is the next one up. Um, well, actually, the Florida Classic win is the next one up. But then uh, trying to win the SWAC championship game and giving ourselves a chance to uh, go to Atlanta in the Celebration Bowl to play for, you know, not right HBCU National Championship. So, you know, the guys are responding well to to all the hype, uh, all the things that come along with being the hunted this year as opposed to the hunter. And, uh, you know, we play, we play pretty good football. So, obviously, still a lot of ball to be played. Still got to continue to work, develop, get better at the little things. Uh, but, again, we're, we're in the position to control our own destiny, and that's always something that we talk about. And for you, I, I mean, I know your guys are focused. I know you're going to keep them focused. Tell us how you'll, in fact, do that. Have, I mean, the, the game against Bethune-Cookman speaks for itself. It's the Florida Classic. Like, you want to, obviously, you, you know, you want to win every game, but you want to win that game. But how do you keep these guys focused, at least over the next two games? 
Well, I think for us, it started way back in training camp. You know, we talked really hard uh, to this football team about being process driven and not results driven. I think when you take that approach, it, it prevents you from you know having those emotional highs and lows that come along with the football season. You know, we want to look at the process, uh, how, how we conduct ourselves on a day to day basis. You know, how, how do we approach practice, uh, weight lift, weightlifting, treatment. Uh, class, e- even our eating and sleeping habits, you know, so we focus on the little things uh, day by day, you know, they, they take care of the big things, you know, even, even this season, every every week our goal is to be one and oh, you know, we, we don't look at the championships, we don't look at Celebration Bowl, any of those things, we try to look at what's right there in our face, uh, and for example, this week, it's Alabama a you know, it has nothing to do with clinching uh, the, the the East has nothing to do with our chance to host the SWAT championship. It has everything to do with preparing ourselves to play our best game on Saturday because that's the next one we're blessed to play. And, and we want to continue to chase perfection, and we feel if we do that, we'll hit excellence along the way. And, and I think if we stay locked in on that, uh, it'll keep us from, again, having a, an emotional letdown, um, which will lead to, you, you know, you potentially being upset. You know, I know where we are in the season. Hadn't talked with you. You know, so let me let me take you back to Jackson State. Big win. You know, speak to kind of getting over the hump, you know, sort of a bit and winning that football game and then how it's led to where you are in the season. Your only loss, as you know, but for the for the audience, the only loss, by the way, is to South Florida, who's, a, of course, an FBS program. Yeah, well, we knew a lot was riding on the Jackson State game. Um, that game has decided the Eastern Divisional champ, ultimately the SWAT champ the last two years. And so, you know, we really looked at how we, how we prepared for that game the past two years, everything from how soon we got to Miami Gardens to what we ate, how, how, how late we practiced on those days, how much sun exposure, you know, we, we subjected the guys to. So we really, really took an a introspective approach, uh, a look at to how we put our team in position to be successful in the past. And we felt we put a good plan together. And obviously, you know, that showed on the field. We were able to put up 28 first-half points uh, to get a comfortable lead. You know, obviously didn't score the second half, but played really good football on defense, only gave up 10 points, and was able to come out of that with a huge win, which really set the tone for the rest of the season. So just getting that proverbial monkey off of our backs, um, not saying it solidified anything, but we knew at that point that we controlled our own destiny. That was a position that we hadn't been in in the last two years. And we wanted to make sure we kept that feeling because it's a much better feeling to be in this position of controlling your destiny than having to come off the field every Saturday, grab your phone, look at scores to see if somebody helped you out, you know. And so right now we don't have to do that. And, and that's that's why we're playing, you know, with the confidence that we're able to exhibit every weekend. When I'm talking about the team, I never thought that I would lead the question off to a Willie Simmons coach team to start with the defense. Going back to your days as a quarterback at Clemson, you know, uh, all of your 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 uh, 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 coaching days, you know, all Corn State, Prairie View, A&M, uh, defense is really, really good. Dark, dark cloud defense. Talk about this defense. This, this is really an elite defense and a special defense the way it's playing right now. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been known as, as an offensive play caller, guru, whatever word you want to use. Um, when I was a play caller, that was fine. When I was only a play caller, let me let me say that. But when I became a head coach, obviously your job as a head coach is to build a complete football team. Uh, I'm heavily involved in the recruitment of our defensive players. I understand as an offensive play caller how important it is, uh, how beneficial it is to have a strong defense. And, and we kind of pattern the way we run our offense. So uh, how aggressive we are 
off of how well our defense is playing. And so people may look and say, hey, man, fam, you hadn't had the prolific numbers that we've come accustomed to watching Willie Simmons play. You know, we don't have the guarding numbers we put up at Alcorn State. You know, we don't have the guarding numbers offensively that we put up even at Prairie View A&M. But that's because our defense is so productive. And so we're not super aggressive. You know, we don't feel the need to be because we don't want to do anything to put our defense in a bad position. You know, punting is one of the best things that we can do. We've been blessed since I've been here to have some of the best punters, uh, two of the best punters in the country, three of the best punters in the country, and we've been able to flip the field. And so when teams have to drive 80-plus yards against our defense consistently, you're not going to score very many points. And so we've been a lot more conservative with how we call our plays on offense, uh, how we scheme people up, because, again, we're blessed to have a defense that's hungry, that plays with confidence, uh, they play smart. They play for one another. Uh, I think the job that Ryan Smith as the head coach of our defense is doing uh, is, is second to none. You know, along with Coach DC, uh, Milton Patterson, uh, Coach James Cozy, uh, pass game coordinator Devon Morgan, uh, and Pat Watkins. I mean, those guys do an amazing job of putting our players in the best position to be successful and letting them do what they do best. And, and I think that's why our defense plays uh, so efficiently is because we're asking guys to do what they do best and not trying to force them to do something trying to fit a, fit a square peg in a round hole, so to speak. Willie Simmons, again, in his sixth season as the head football coach of Florida A&M. He joins us here on the program. I was reading the article in the, uh, in the TDO, the Tallahassee Democrat, with respect to your defensive backfield and the call you put forth to them about getting turnovers, about getting interceptions. The last couple of weeks, they've answered the call. I believe it's, what, five interceptions over the last couple of weeks? You know, speak to that and, um, you know, how well that unit is playing. Well, we, we know we're very strong up front. Uh, we, we have a very deep and, and talented defensive line. So whether it's in tackle, uh, we're three deep across the board. And there's not a huge drop off when you go from the first team guy to the third team guy. Um, our linebackers are as athletic and, and as instinctive as anybody you'll see. And so those guys do a great job of moving around and making plays. On the back end, I, I, I thought we were leaving a lot to be desired as far as our ability to make plays on the ball. You know, teams challenge us early in the season. You know, we've had some balls caught on us, and that's not a problem. I don't worry about balls being caught on us, but it was alarming the amount of missed opportunities we had where guys were in a position to make an interception and didn't make it. Ball would hit our hands and we would drop it, uh, those type of things. And so if you can add the opportunistic element to an already style defense, one that plays the run extremely well, one that gets after the quarterback, lives in the backfield, with top five nationally or six nationally in sacks, we're leading the nation in tackles for loss, top, I think, top five or six in run defense. If we can find ways to get our hands on balls, I mean, you're talking about a number one rated defense in the country. And those guys took key to that. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've had four interceptions in those two games, uh, one a big pick six. And so, again, uh, the guys are really, really uh, stressing those details more. And, and, and uh we're positioning ourselves to be a defense that's complete from the front end to the back end. And I think that's what you need when you're talking about championship caliber teams. There are no deficiencies in their in their operation. And now that we're catching those balls, uh, I think it's very hard to find a deficiency with our defense. You know, you've recruited these guys, Isaiah, and it was Isaiah Land. Now it's Isaiah Major. How special a player is he? He's in that same mold. Uh, I tell the scouts all the time. We have Marquise Bell. Uh, in 2019 and 2021 uh, with Isaiah Land, you know, from 18 all the way to this past season. And those guys were two of the best defensive players in the country at this level. Uh, but it, it wasn't just because of their physical 
attributes, it was because of their approach to football, their maturity, their work ethic, uh, their desire to be the very best at what they did. And Isaiah Major is in that same mold. Uh, he loves the game of football, whether it's 6 a.m. practices or 3.30 practices in the heat. He's fired up about practicing. He wants to be a guy that challenges his teammates to match his energy and his intensity. You know, he plays the game with reckless abandon uh, for his body. You know, he throws his body around. He takes on 300-pound blockers as a middle linebacker. He gets all of us lined up. You know, so not only is he a very athletically gifted football player, he's smart, he's instinctive, uh, he has really good ball skills and uh, had a pick six earlier this year. And he's just a complete player. And again, man, he's the heart and soul of our team, not even just our defense, but he's the heart and soul of our football team. And I've seen a lot of good players uh, this season, uh, primarily defensively, but uh, if there's a more complete or better football player than Isaiah Major in the country, um, one, I don't want to go against him <laughs> because, again, that, that guy's phenomenal. Isaiah Major's made plays every game he's played in, whether it's South Florida, a guaranteed game, whether it was Jackson State, or even this past weekend, uh, that Isaiah Major has a knack for getting to that football. He's leading the conference in solo tackles. Uh, he's just a tackling machine. You know, it's certainly a shame that our player players, meaning HBCU players, uh, don't get drafted. I, in fact, thought Isaiah Land would have been drafted last year. He makes the team. We're, we're, we seem to always be uh, free agent guys, but that's that. That is another uh, conversation for another day. However, draft radius for Isaiah Major is it higher? Then for land? Well, I think he's starting to pick up steam now. Um, the one thing that Marquise and Isaiah had, uh, maybe that Isaiah Major doesn't have, is, is, is they're going to pass the eye test. You know, you walk into a building, Marquise Bell, 6'2", he's 215. I mean, and he's a safety, you know, so he's one of the bigger safeties in all of America at any level. Isaiah Land, 6'4", you know, and so when you see that type of length and that type of build, on those guys immediately draws the, the interest of those scouts. You know, Isaiah Major's 5'11 and a half, he's 230. You know, so he's not an undersized backer per se, but he's not that elite size linebacker that maybe plays at Penn State or Ohio State or some of those places where you get the 6'2, 6'3 guys. I mean, he, he's tall enough. He, he's in that same build as guys like Devin White, um, Levante David, you know, some of those fast athletic guy linebackers that are right in that six foot range. That's Isaiah, you know, uh, was with a scout yesterday morning and just talking about Isaiah. And when he saw him pass by, he said, yeah, he's got a, he's got a nice build. You know, he's not a quote unquote undersized backer. He, he doesn't see, he's not sitting there at 210 pounds, you know, 215, where you're like, eh, can he really hold up at the next level? I mean, he's 230 and he's solid, you know, so he can take on blockers. He's strong at the point of attack. You know, he shares blockers really well. So I think he has a, a very, very unique skill set that once he's able to get in maybe an all-star game and, and do that against top competition day in and day out, uh, I, I think the scouts will really fall in love with this guy. But he's a four-phase special teams guy. Uh, so his ability to play on all the special teams, his ability to be a linebacker that can process information, uh, be able to get in and spell maybe the top guy. Uh, again, if, if I was a betting man, I, I'd say Isaiah Major would be able to have the same impact that Isaiah Land has had on his coaches, on what uh, Xavier Smith has had even that Marquise Bell had. And that's why those guys were able to stick on as free agents because they did something in training camp that drew the eyes of their coaches and the administration. And I think Isaiah Major is that same type of player. And of course, Marquise Lance starting for the Dallas Cowboys at safety. We'll talk a little bit more uh, about that. Willie Simmons is the head football coach at Florida A&M. He joins us here on the program. Jeremy Musa, your quarterback, um, you know, numbers wise, 
um, better, at least trajectory-wise, by the end of the season uh, than last year. I mean, matter of fact, he probably is going to shatter what he was able to do last season. Your thoughts in terms of how he's playing this season? Yeah, Jimmy, uh, you know, as, if, you, if you listen to Rattler Nation at times, you'll think he's playing terribly. <laughs> <laughs> you know how that go, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, man, he's playing really good football. Um, you know, he's on pace to the, eclipse all of his numbers from last season. I think last year he had 21 touchdowns in, in 11 games. He's at 17 now in, in, in eight games. So, you know, he's four touchdowns away from breaking last his, his mark from last season. Um, his completion percentage is about the same, so we want to see that increase a little bit. Um, but we're pushing the ball down the field a lot more this year than maybe we did in the past. Uh, we've had some untimely drops, you know, that have hurt his completion percentage. Uh, and so if you, if you do his true completion percentage, it's closer to 70%. Um, so he's making good decisions with the ball. He's protecting it for the most part. Uh, he's got about a two, two and a half to one interception ratio, touchdown interception ratio. And so he's leading all HBCU in passing. You know, he's leading them in touchdowns. Um, he's one of the top passers in the country. And so from all those metrics, he's having a phenomenal year. It's just when you when I have to come and defend him because he hadn't played perfectly or he turned the ball over a time or two, uh, it, it makes it seem as if he's playing very poorly. But I think it'd be safe to say that maybe probably all 11 teams in, in this conference would trade their guy for Jeremy Musa right now. Yeah. There are a lot of teams across the country that would trade their guy for Jeremy Musa right now uh, because of his arm talent, because of his size, his athleticism. Uh, his ability to make throws in, in, in tight windows. Uh, he's a pro prospect. Again, just like Isaiah Major, NFL scouts are really starting to inquire about Jeremy Musa and his prospects of getting into a training camp. I don't know if they're both draftable guys, uh, but I do think they're guys that can definitely that are definitely worthy of getting in training camps and showing what they can do. You know, but I think they're both front runners for for conference player of the year right now. Uh, if I had to, the season was over, I think Jeremy would win offensive player of the year. Uh, and, and I think once coaches really look at the film and really consider playing against us, that they will feel Isaiah Major is the best player in the conference. They're guys that maybe have more stats because of how they of how they count tackles. Um, but I think it's a telling sign that Isaiah Major is leading the conference in solo tackles. He's not leading total tackles, but he's leading solo tackles, which to me is more of an indicator of how productive he is. I mean, sometimes you get an assist with tapping the guy on the shoulder when he's an inch from the ground, <laughs> you know, right. but you're making solo tackles. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting that guy on the ground by yourself and uh, he's doing as well as anybody. Of course, Jeremy's leading uh, most court, all quarterbacks in most of the, most of the major statistical categories. Yeah. I think it's a great point. You're talking about, you know, Isaiah major 46 solo tackles in eight games, almost six, you know, almost six a game. He's definitely getting it done. So when you think about eight, when I think about, HBCU football and you talk about Florida A&M you're talking about one of the best HBCU football programs ever but prior to your arrival it just didn't seem that way right what and you're a guy that's from if not from Tallahassee from the area at at least what have you been able to do to reinvigorate this program to put it to where it is right now and by the way we must mention not only a nine and two season Last year, not into the previous year, where you got an at-large bid to the FCS playoffs, which hadn't happened in the SWAC in I don't know how many years. Well, I, I think there, there are a lot of things that, that you know, could be attributed to our success. It's not just me. Um, it's a commitment from my administration. It's a commitment from Rattler Nation uh, to, to support this, this athletic program. 
uh, it's our fans showing up, the student set, the student body showing up to games and making Brad Memorial Stadium one of the toughest places to play in all of college football. Uh, I think it's all that, you know. So the one thing that I can say that we did and, and we set out to do it as soon as we got here was that we really wanted to make these guys understand the magnitude of where we are. I mean, you play football for Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, the number one public HBCU in America, a place that's produced Bob Hayes, Ken Riley, you know, Ray Alexander, uh, Earl Holmes. I mean, you, you name it. I mean, we put out so many amazing football players throughout our history. Guys that have coached here like Jake Gaither, Rudy Hubbard, Billy Joe, Ken Riley, uh, Joe Taylor even. And so just having the pride in this place, that's where it starts. You know, I, I still remember back six years ago, and it, it seems like it was yesterday, but our very first team meeting. You know, I, I, I talked to the team about kind of our goals and what type of team we were going to be. Uh, but then one of the last things I did, I said, okay, I want somebody to get up and I want you to sing the school alma mater. And no one could do it. You know, not one player knew the school alma mater. And I said, guys, that's the problem. Because that means you're not a part of the family. Because if you're a Rattler, you know that alma mater. You know that Rattler charge. I mean, you know things that are unique to Florida a and And because our players didn't know it, they weren't invested. And so it was like, you want the guy, you want the university to invest in you. You want Rattler Nation to invest in you guys. And you're not invested yourself. You don't take pride in wearing the orange and green. You don't know what it means to walk into this field house every day and sit in the same locker, if a linebacker, potentially sit in the same locker as Earl Holmes, you know, a guy that, you know, was a, a draft pick and got ahead of a phenomenal career in the NFL. You don't know if you're a quarterback, what it's like to sit in the same locker as an old team in Sampson or J. Juan Sider or, Earl, or Quinn Gray or Albert Chester and all those guys that did amazing things. You know, if you're an offensive lineman, you don't know what it's like to sit in the locker with Jamie Nails. You know, so again, if you don't appreciate that, you're not going to play for this university. You're not going to play for your brothers. And so that was the one thing I think that we did that really resonated with the guys. After every game, win, lose, or draw for the last six years, we're going to go to the school and all the model. If it's a home game, obviously we're going to the March 100. If they're at an away game, we're, we're going to go to the 100. If they're not at the game on an away game, we're going to find the largest group of Rattlers in the stands, and we're going we're gonna to go to them, but we're, we're going to send the school alma mater because that's important, right? And so just those traditions, starting to rattle the walk, you know, walking from Gaither Gym over to the football field, uh, to the field house before every home game, you know, all those little traditions that we started here uh, are things that I think really help our guys to understand where we are. And when you understand where you are, you, you have a greater appreciation for it. It makes you really care about how we're presented because this is a brand. You know, we wear this, we wear this proudly. This LeBron logo is unique to Florida and them. And we represent it every time we take the field. So have pride in the orange and green, have pride in the logo, have pride in the name on the back of your jersey. And if you do all those things, you'll play harder, you'll play smarter, you'll care about how we're presented. And I think that probably more than anything else has allowed us to feel the team that we've fielded over the years. And then it doesn't, doesn't help that we have phenomenal support from, from, from those that are invested in this program. A couple more thoughts with Willie Simmons, the head football coach at Florida A&M. And speak to this, FAMU, I mean, you again, growing up in Tallahassee, um, FAMU means more to you than you just being the head football coach. Well, of course it does. Uh, I'm a product of Rattlers. You know, uh, this place gave our family on my maternal side a chance to understand what getting a college degree felt like. Um, my, and I, I tell the story every, you know, as much as I can. My grandfather, you know, dropped out of elementary school in the third grade 
You know, he has a third grade education. My grandmother, after my, she and my grandfather started dating, got pregnant with my mom in the 10th grade. And she dropped out of school to obviously help take care of their firstborn. And so you have basically two parents without high school educations raised nine kids, my mom being the oldest. Well, my mom, after being a student, decided to be the first in our family to attend to go to college. Well, she came to Florida a and and she got her, her mathematics degree and went on to be a successful educator, you know, in Gadsden County for 29 years. Well, then after her, her, her sister, who's a year younger, went to college right here at FAMU and became a successful engineer. Their younger brother came right here to FAMU, became a successful engineer. And then three more after them. So about nine, of my nine of, of the nine kids my grandmother and grandfather produced, six of them graduated from FAMU. And that began a, a trajectory of college graduates in our family. So all their kids came to FAMU. And I didn't, you know, I went on to play college football elsewhere, but 95% of the college graduates in my family are FAMU alone. And so I see firsthand what this place can do for you. You know, we're 21st in the country in social mobility. And, and what that means is my grandfather's, my grandmother and grandfather's story, my mother's story is a part of that because when she came here, you know, it basically they were impoverished. You know, they raised nine kids in a three bedroom home. And my mom was able to come to college and get a degree and go on to start her own family and be successful. And that's what FAMU has done for 136 years is they've taken first generation college students and they pushed them out into the world to be great in, in all areas of life. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate Black excellence at the highest level. I appreciate the impact that FAMU has, not only on the local community, but statewide, nationwide, and globally. And that's why I try to impart that upon our players, uh, impose, you know, on our players, just say, guys, you have no idea the impact of what your degree will mean for you. I mean, you're sitting in class every day with the next Will Packer the next Kim Godwin, the next John Thompson, the next Keisha Lance Bottom, Tiffany Green. Like you're sitting in class with them every day. You don't even realize it because somebody used to probably pick at Will Packer back in college and say, look at that little nerdy dude, you know, going to class every day, making 4.0s, not realizing that he'd be, that he one day host the Oscars, you know? And so when you have this type of impact for an institution, it, it's, it's, it's amazing, right? And that's why, again, I, I think it's so important for HBCUs to exist for HBCUs to continue to be uplifted because family's not the only one, uh, but we're doing more for blacks and, and, and minorities than anybody in the country. And I think it needs to be celebrated more. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for sharing that story. But now you, you may not be a fam grad, but you had every aspiration to come and play at Florida A&M. Well, that, that's a, that's a sore story, but, <laughs> but no, you know, I, I transferred my last year of college, obviously I left Clemson um, after I got my degree and wanted to play my last season close to home. You know, my mom was battling some health issues and, and I wanted to be here. You know, Joe, uh, Billy Joe had the team rolling. Uh, they had a string of transfer quarterbacks that had been very successful. Jaywan Sider, Pat Bonner, Otima Sampson, and, and I wanted to be the next one. And so attempted to transfer here in 2003, uh, that was the year that FAMU made history of being the first HBCU to make the transition to Division 1A, or now FBS. And when that happens, you go on the year of provisional status. Well, because they were in provisional status, the NCAA required them to abide by 
1A rules, which at that time, which is crazy now because of the, how wide open transferring is, at that time, you could not transfer from a 1A program to a 1A program and be eligible for immediate playing time. You had to sit out a year. Well, I was a, I was a last year student, so I didn't have a year to sit. And so myself, along with 12 other transfers, were deemed ineligible. In the middle of training camp, like we practiced for two weeks with FAMU and were told that uh, that we couldn't play this year, that year. So it was a really, really tough time for me because everyone was so excited uh, for me to come here uh, to potentially be the quarterback here. And, uh, you know, but I had every intention of being a rattler. And uh, so I, I can't say that I took a class at FAM, but I can say that I practiced in the orange green for two weeks, sat in the locker room, heard Billy Joe talk. And uh, so, so I'm officially a rattler. In that regard, but uh, but I'm glad to be back as the head football coach. Uh, it, it all came 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 back full circle. Yep. Last two thoughts, not to cause any controversy. You don't want to answer the question. Don't. But th- this is the thing. We you know you look at the history of college football. There have only been two HBCU grads to ever have coached at the FBS level. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Willie Jeffries, of course, uh, the first one to in fact do it. Um, and you know, I, a lot of times when I'm talking about, okay, who's that next HBCU person, I, I'm going to include you in that because you, you, you had every intention, intention of being at FAMU that said, um, do you have, you know, down the road, I know you're happy where you are now. I got it. Aspirations of being a head football coach at the FBS level. Well, I think, um, you know, I think anyone who, who does, something uh in the back of their mind or in the front of their mind even you know has that feeling of can i do it at the highest level you know if you're, if you're a division one double a football player you know doesn't mean you don't love the school you're playing at but when you're going out there and you're making plays on saturdays against one double a opponents or d2 opponents in the back of your mind you're watching college football and you see alabama and georgia and you just ran for 175 and your mind saying I think I can do that there. You know, I, I can I can be a, a thousand yard rusher in the SEC. You know, if you're a quarterback and you just threw four touchdowns and you know threw for three hundred plus yards, you, you're looking at you know Clemson versus Georgia Tech and saying, man, I think I can go and play at that level and show that I'm good enough because I think part of us wants to show that we're capable of doing those things. And so whether it's NFL or major college football, you know, there is a part of me that says, okay, I've been extremely successful. Uh, you know relatively speaking, at the LCS level. Could I could I replicate that at a group of five school, at a power five school? You know, I've been in been called a you know, great play caller, you know, during my time. Could, could I could I have the same success as a play caller in, in the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten? And so just that <clears throat> human element in me, um wanting to prove that to myself, yeah, obviously I think about it. You know, and so if the opportunity presents itself, it's something that I, you know, you just have to look at, you just have to consider, you know, Dion caught a lot of flack for, for going to Colorado, you know, oh, he made these promises to Jackson and talked about doing it for the culture and bringing players to HBCUs and then he ups and leaves and goes to Colorado. Well, you know, it, it, we are human. We do have families. It's kind of hard to turn out $5.9 million <laughs> to, to stay out of school when you're making about 300, 400. So it's not about the money. It's not, you know, solely about the money, but, I think guys like myself, Trey Oliver, um, the coaches who've been extremely successful at this level, you know, part of us do wonder what it would be like to to have 
and abundance of resources, right? You know, we come every day to schools who don't, who are low resource, who we have to get out of the mud. Um, what would it be like if I walked into a building and had unlimited resources where we can get on a plane and go recruit in California if we saw a player that we like? You know, as opposed to trying to figure out a way to to, to drive four four hours to recruit. You know, so not saying I you know, I love FAMU. Of course, I talked at length about what FAMU means to me. I'm from here. My entire family is here. My wife graduated from here. Our oldest son is a graduate. He's in law school here now. And so, yes, FAMU has a special place in my heart. Always will. You know, but obviously in this profession, I think ADs, search firms, they're always looking for that next guy because of the big business of, of college athletics. And so, you know, guys like me and Trey Oliver get those opportunities. You know, we have to listen. Doesn't mean we'll take it, you know, but 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 I think it would be crazy for people to think that we wouldn't entertain, you know, offers from bigger schools just because of that innate desire to want to prove that we can do it at the highest level. And well said, and therein lies part of the point. We do more with less. Last thought. Alabama A&M, as we go back to football, Alabama A&M, your thoughts on what some of the challenges that the Bulldogs present? Well, obviously, the number one challenge is, is they have a quarterback, Xavier Langford, you know, who can beat you uh, with his legs. You know, he ran for almost 200 yards against Gramlin a few weeks ago. And so whenever you have a running quarterback, that creates uh, an extra gap for your defense to have to account for. And so our guys got to be really good up front of controlling the line of scrimmage. Uh, they'll run them out of empty formations. They'll run them out of unbalanced formations. They'll get running. You know, they'll run ISOs with them. You know, with running backs leading up on backers. And so you have to find ways to get guys in the run fit, but also prevent big plays in the passing game. And so that'll be a tough challenge for our defense. He's probably the most dynamic quarterback that we face outside of the quarterback in South Florida. And uh, so from from a defensive standpoint, we got to do a really good job of containing him. Uh, their defense. They move around a lot. You know, they do a lot of stemming uh, right before the snap. So identifying whether they're in three down or four down looks and um, getting a hat on a hat. You know, we've run the ball extremely well the last two weeks. Uh, we want to continue to do that. If we can run the ball well, we've shown that we can throw it against anyone. If we can run it for 180, 200 plus, I mean, it really, really makes us difficult to defend. And so we want to establish the ground game. You know, so those will be the two biggest challenges for us, establishing the run on offense, stopping the run on defense. Uh, and then special teams, you know, we got to be sound. Um, the last two years we played these guys, we've had some unforced errors. You know, we fumbled quarterback, running back exchange two years in a row. The quarterback has fumbled, handing the ball to the running back, and they've recovered both. Um, we've had some wild interceptions, ball popping off the ground and guys dropping passes. And so we got to make sure that we play clean football. And we can do that uh, going on the road in a hostile environment. You know, uh, I think we can continue to play well enough to win. Uh it does help that the March 100 will be there to support us and uh, looking forward to, to seeing those guys there. But again, huge challenge. Connor Man is a great coach. Um, their program has had, when they're, when they're rolling, they're really, really good. Uh, they've kind of been up and down the last two years, but they can get hot at any moment. And so we definitely can't, can't rest, can't take, you know, take a back seat because we've clinched. Uh, we still got to go play football. And, and that's a challenge for us to get these guys to play at a high level knowing that at the end of the day, the game doesn't have any conference bearing because we're already guaranteed to be in the SWAT championship. We still want to host, so winning this game goes a long way in us hosting, but it won't knock us out of the contention. So we got to lock in. Our seniors got to do a great job of leading the rest of the guys, and we got to continue to play good football like we played most of the season 
And I think that'll give us the chance to go in and, and pull off another huge road win. The Rattlers 7-1 on the season, ranked number two in the HBCU coaches and media polls, as Coach Simmons mentioned, on the road Saturday uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, taking on Alabama A&M. He's in his sixth season as the head football coach of the Rattlers. He is Willie Simmons, joins us here on the program. Coach Simmons, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Continued success to you and the Rattlers. Well, thanks. I, I was wondering how long it was going to take me to reach out. I guess we had to win a division to hear from you. <laughs> I heard from you all season, Dom. You used, you used to hit me up. I guess we ain't boys no more. No, no you, that's, that's fair. But look, I, I, you know, you guys were rolling. I mean, it was, you know, now that you won it, now it's, you know, it's time to reach out now. You know what I mean? I, 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 I've been with you now. Don't get me wrong. Hey, you, you, you'll reach out when them, when them, when them polls ain't submitted on Sunday. You'll reach out then. <laughs> well, and look, I appreciate you doing that poll. You, you have been doing the poll since. What, 15? What's your first year at PV? 15? Uh, 15. Been doing them since 15. And, uh, you ain't, you, uh, you and Buddy Pugh ain't missed us. I don't believe, you know, he's been doing it way long. Had missed a, I don't believe y'all ever have, I don't believe, he he may have missed one. You have never missed a week. You know? Well, you ain't going to let me miss it, first of all. I'm trying to make sure I said it, but <laughs> if, if it's getting close to Monday and I probably ain't missed even this past week, I don't know what was going on with my, he kept kicking it back. Okay. And so, you know, you say, hey, can I get my polls? And I was like, well, I thought I said it, but no, I, I appreciate you, man. It means a lot. And uh, definitely, definitely appreciate all the love and support that you do. Guys like yourself that really highlight and promote um, HBCUs, the football we play, the brand, the coaching, all that. Because, again, you're right. We don't get enough credit for the job that we're doing. And not just winning games, but developing lives, you know, graduating our young men, you know, putting them out into the real world, making a difference. And uh, that's that's really what it's all about, man. So I, I truly appreciate you and uh, definitely excited about being on. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. Talk with Thanks you soon. Honest. See you, brother. All right. We hope you enjoy this episode of the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. You can watch on our YouTube page on YouTube at HBCU Football Daily Podcast. Don't forget to get your HBCU football fix on Box to Row with Donald Ware each weekend on a radio station near you and on Sirius XM on the HBCU channel, channel 142, and on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, channel 84. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest in HBCU football. And don't forget to tell a friend.